listener production. Hi, 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 hi. Hello. Yes, hi. Oh, I see you over there. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Stop, stop, stop. Thank you guys so much. Welcome to come out wherever you are. This is a safe space for curious people to learn more about the coming out experience. So, congratulations. You are now a part of this beautiful community. And because this is a podcast about the coming out experience, it is only fair that I go first. My name is Sean Zepps. My pronouns are he, him, and I am a homosexual. I first came out in 2000. So I was 12 years old and I came out in a closet. And I most recently came out 24 hours ago on an airplane to a flight attendant who asked politely where my children's mother was. And I had to break the news to her. So that was a coming out of sorts. Today, we are welcoming a brand new member to the Come Out Wherever You Are family, Samantha. Samantha, can you introduce yourself? Let us know if you can remember when you first came out and then when you last came out. Totally. Hi, my name's Samantha Andrew. My pronouns are she, her. And the first time I came out was the good old year of 2013. Uh, I came out in year 12, my final year of high school. And I came out to my very close friend, Millie, who is also queer herself. And we were both kind of came out to each other at the same time, which was really nice. I was like, me. And then she was like, also me. And I was like, I love this for us. <laughs> it's so funny to think yes. of the most recent time. I truly, it doesn't come to my brain because I think everyone just knows because of social media. But I don't want to. I want to come out again. So I have to find someone completely random and be like, do you want to know a story? <laughs> Samantha Andrew is the future of Australian comedy. And it's not just me who thinks so. A journalist for the Herald Sun said so, so you know that it's legit. She's a comedian, composer, actor, and one of my favorite people on the internet. When lockdown hit Melbourne in 2020, Samantha took to TikTok, where she's now racked up over 12 million likes. I don't want to wait any further. This is a wonderful, wonderful conversation. We go to places we haven't even gone on the show yet. So here is Samantha. Well, let's take a trip down memory lane. Um... Where did you grow up? So I grew up in southeast uh, Victoria, in Melbourne, sorry, Um, in uh, southern, quite close to the beach. I grew up, I went to a really um, beautiful primary school and high school. I was a very confident kid. I loved being the class clown, but I was actually saying the other day on a shoot, um, I was like class clown light because I had an innate need for um, impressing teachers as well. So I wanted to be funny, but then also, you know, be in the front row with my (laughs) hectic high side ponytail and books in hand. Like, um, so I loved, I loved school. I loved, I joined a choir when I was five years old because I was constantly singing around the house and my parents were like, all right, let's put her away for a music activity once a week. And then obviously was at Thespian in school, did all the, high school productions, uh, and yeah, loved it all. I, there's so much to talk about life story, but that's kind of a slice of me um, in the start. Loved school, loved people, was always very confident and was very lucky growing up, have a beautiful family, beautiful support system. Amazing. So, yeah. So I guess two follow-up questions. Mm. Was Melbourne a 
liberal leaning accepting creative bubble then like it is now and then the follow-up question is was the world of thespians as is depicted in movies and cinema and was it also a queer liberal leaning creative and when really the overall question is did you grow up in an environment where there were queer people around you yeah totally the first kind of queer people that I met were actually through extended family, but in Adelaide. So I remember, you know, being, I think around like six or seven. And one of my beautiful um, cousins, Belinda, who is a lesbian, uh, she was, she's quite a bit older than me. Um, I think like 10, 15 years. And I just remember she had really short, spiky hair and wore really cool, like Calvin Klein, like ripped t-shirts. And I was like, She's so You're cool and always had a girlfriend. But at the time, me and my sister didn't really know that they were mm. together and that she was gay. So she was probably the first person that I met. But I think Melbourne was definitely a bubble. And, you know, when I first started to um, explore my sexuality, I remember, you know, I went on Tinder to find people. Like there were there were women on Tinder. Um, I, In regards to your question about <laughs> thespian community in in Melbourne it's funny it's like I'd love to say it's like high school musical but when you think of a <laughs> a semi-bogan like public school it's as thespian as one can get yeah yeah you know uh, rehearsing borderline in a portable classroom uh and you know singing songs in bad American accents um but I think I definitely I think I would be lying if I said the environment around me wasn't artistic and liberal enough for me to have made all the decisions that I made. I did not grow up in a conservative household. I did not surround myself with conservative people. And I think, like you said, by nature, being very um, very busy in the arts community just created such a safe space for me to flourish in a way that I should have as a child. Amazing. You know, it's funny. We've made our way, I don't know how many episodes, but 20 plus, and we haven't actually had a conversation about the creative space for young queer people. It just like hasn't come up, which is a shock because I feel like a fundamental thread that that pulls a bunch of us together tends to be artistic pursuits. I, I, I know that that's like maybe a gross generalization, but it happens frequently that queer people find respite in, in creative spaces. And for usually those stereotypes are thrusted onto young gay men, that young gay men find dance halls or young gay men find the the musical theater elite, you know, to be this safe haven where they can express themselves maybe in a more feminine way. Um, but in actuality, when you become a part of this community, you meet a lot of members of the LGBTQI plus lived experience who found safety in that. And I don't know why? I don't know if you've spent time thinking about it, but I am interested in like when you get to play, when you get to explore through the lens of a professional pursuit or an extracurricular, oftentimes that allows you to truly explore who you are inside. And I'm interested in like, as you were growing up and you're surrounded by people who are playing and exploring and they're kissing and they're singing songs about love and they're pairing girls up and boys up and you're learning different types of dance styles that you're actually able to find out who you really are through that through that time. Yeah, absolutely. And 
it's it's interesting, right? It's not something I've I've thought about a lot, but I do completely see parallels between the two. And even in a sense of I remember doing, not that this has anything really to do with queerness, but I remember doing shows and, you know, where we're in year 10, we're in year 11, and there's like a really romantic kiss scene that needs to be staged and blocked. And we were doing this in performances, you know, that our classmates were coming to and our family were coming to. And I remember people around me being really immature, being like, oh my God, you kiss blah, blah. And like, you do it every night and them coming along and laughing at this and all us theatre kids being like, you know, this is just like part of the job and we feel comfortable enough that, you know, even though it's it's in a kind of shitty like lecture theatre, it's it's work to us and it's mm. it's our it's our life. Like we love, we love making art. And I just remember people being quite immature about that. And it reminds me of the kind of idea of, you know, we had characters that were that were traditionally meant to be played by men being played by women if we had a shortage of um, of male actors and I think even just little bits like that like for some people you know um, being able to taste just exploration and you know you never know there might have been one trans woman that um, one time got to play um, at the gender that felt conf- affirming for them back in the day and went wait a minute this means more to me than just you know either putting on um a tuxedo or putting on a dress like this actually means something to my gender identity but to everyone else it's just a we need one more person to play xyz role you know oh exactly well i got yep. cast as both carmen miranda and then angel and rent in a in a one year period when i was um kind of figuring out who i was and you painted the picture perfectly it was a role it was a job i was not going into the experience yeah. thinking, people are going to think I'm a woman. That was not a part of the experience for me. I looked at the cast list. I saw the part that I got. I knew that I had done well in both of the dance calls. So I thought there was a likelihood I might get it. But I had never worn heels. I had never worn a wig. I had never worn a dress. I had never painted my nails. I had never had my face beat before. But I wasn't looking at it through the lens of the real world. I wasn't like, oh no, people are going to judge me. I showed up each day and I learned. I learned how to dance in heels. I learned how to do pirouettes. I learned, they had a makeup artist come in and I learned. And through that time, I did get to explore my identity a little bit. Is this something that I like? Am I enjoying putting the makeup on? Is it making me uncomfortable throughout this process of wearing the dress and walking in heels? Do I like the way that this feels or do I not? And I feel like, any person who's given that opportunity, it's a gift. For me, it did not confirm, okay, Sean, you like this, you want to repeat doing this, or this is actually your true authentic self. You've been hiding something, or maybe even this is so hard for you. Why is this so hard for you? None of that happened, but it could have. And that happens all across the world for many different people. There was a year in my dance studio where they had all of the women wear tuxedos and um, briefcases and mustaches and these really cool hats. And we uh, all of the women got to kind of flip the script and dance like I was being forced to dance. My entire life was more like a woman. And there were specific women who, um, and I don't actually know that they're all women anymore, but you know, mm. young women at the time who you could just get this sense that they were like this masculine energy this is right for me. This is fun. This is this is how I want to move. This is my creative expression. And I just feel like the arts allows us to do that. And a lot of the other parts of the world, specifically as a child, don't. Absolutely. Also, I'm 
listening and hearing um, like a troop of women all in tuxedos. And I'm like, that's hot. I mean, come on, right? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, that's totally. Um, So at what point in this beautiful, creative, exploratory time in your life did you realize most other young girls seem to be very interested in boys and I am either not or not only, or I'm also interested in, when did you realize you weren't just like everybody else? Yeah, well, I always did the boyfriend thing truly because of movies and because that's what other people were doing. And I was like, well, if, you know, if Millie, Laura and Olivia all have boyfriends, then I'll just do that too, Mm -hmm. I guess, Mm because that's what you do. But I realized I started to um, find that I ha- I was really obsessed with my female friendships. I wouldn't say it was bordering on unhealthy. I think I had a lot of queerness that I needed to unpack back then. But I was really, really keen on and loved my female friendships a lot. And I think I almost, with ev- it sounds a bit weird, but with every single female friendship that I was part of, I almost felt this like, undercurrent of like little butterflies like you would have when you have a first date with someone and it goes really well and you go, am I going to see them again? Are they going to message me? What's going on? Are we going to go out for another drink? Yes. I felt that with quite a lot of my really close female friends. As soon as I would, you know, we would leave the movies from seeing a movie, I would go, when are we hanging out again? And I just loved female energy around me. And I I remember um, one time I had like this feeling where I I had a I had a boyfriend and we would like you know I was about to say it sounds so weird the sentence I was about to form in my mouth we would kiss like <laughs> cool thanks so much for that ew that feels homophobic no um <laughs> I had a boyfriend that I was you know like into it with and then I remember um one time like brushing past a girl's hand and then like lightly holding my hand I can't even remember where it was and being like wait a damn minute yeah and if I put the two of them side by side I was like brushing past a girl's hand up high 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 because I know that this is a, a oral platform high 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 but if I was to be intimate with a man I was like I don't really feel it um and yeah I think that was when I started to realize okay I definitely like women I also had a few um early like uh, early moments of exploration with girls in a very, very, very playful and childlike way mm. that I look back on and I'm like, that's interesting that that happened um, as well. And, yeah, and then I started to be like, all right, I think I I didn't have one person that I, you know how a lot of queer people, they have someone that they, they fall in love with their best friend or they fall in love with their teacher, <clears throat> problematic, but it happens. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't have that at all. I think it was a lot. It was like an umbrella of lots and lots of women that I was just like holding on to for dear life. <laughs> Did you tell anyone? Like back then when you first had those initial connections um, that you were interested in women or was Millie really the first time you even spoke it into existence? I think Millie was the first time I spoke to someone and I think she felt like the smartest person to tell, especially because it's funny. We met on orientation day in year seven, day one. And I remember spotting her and I was wearing (laughs) this white t-shirt from Supre. If you're listening in Australia, you will know Supre well Mm. in this era. And it had the alphabet on it. 
And then on the letter I, that was in pink. And then it had a love heart. And I was like, I love you across the alphabet. And Millie had this green t-shirt dress on with all of these like guitar, electric guitars all over it. And I just think like that is us as queer women now. It's like <laughs> the femme and the, the skater gal. Yeah. Um, but I remember feeling really comfy telling her because maybe part of me just knew that she would say the same thing and be like, yeah, m- me as well. But apart from that, I didn't tell anyone during high school until I think the end of year 11 and then started to properly come out in year 12. But the first time I kind of came out to a group of people, I was at a party and everyone was, um, you know, having some drinks. And I remember like being on the dance floor with my, like probably my vodka cruiser or double black or whatever we drank back in the day. And I remember being like, yeah, no, like, you know, I would like kiss a girl. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like saying like, haha parties. And I was like, no, like, no, but I, no, but I, but I would like, and I don't, like, I wouldn't be drunk. Like I would, I would probably kiss them. Like I would do that. And they'd be like, oh, okay. And I'm like, yeah. And then I think Millie was like, me as well. And everyone's like, okay. And I think they had like a double coming out, but no one really gave it a second thought. And it was just a fun, light conversation at a party. But for both me and Millie, we were like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Wait, I, ha- um, I hope it isn't inappropriate, but how old are you now? I'm 26. Okay. I'm just trying to understand, like, at that time, a decade ago, what all of those other people in the party, like, what their understanding of queerness would have been, right? Because that is really Ellen important. Ellen DeGeneres. There, okay. Done. Ellen DeGeneres. Yeah. I think, well, Glee was out, and I think the um, Britney and Santana relationship was on screen, which was great, and... Pretty Little Liars, Emily from Pretty Little Liars was also queer. And I remember being like, wow. But I think in regards to queer representation, that was it. And I think most people would have been like, yeah, I know a lesbian. I'm Ellen DeGeneres on Channel 9 or whatever it is. Mm, Okay. That's helpful. Really helpful. Because when you say things like that and you say, oh, and people were, you know, brushed it off. I'm wondering, do they really brush it off? Like, did they think it was weird or is it not so weird? Because at that point, they would have known that lesbians existed and that it could be their friends too. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't want to say, because I I really could be wrong here. I don't want to say it would have been easier for Millie, but I think people would have bought it more when Millie said it because she just is a bit more of a tomboy. She's grown up with, you know, four older brothers. She's very... Rat rat as a woman, and I love it about her. And she skates and she plays lots of sport. Whereas I was probably in like a dress from Cook Eye, standing with my like a bodycon dress, standing with my double black and my GHD straightened hair, being like, me as well. Yeah. And everyone's probably like, okay. bullshit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. And at that time, when you're realizing that this is your truth, did you have an opportunity prior to that to explore and experience women? Or is this just a feeling inside that you're really sure, like, I'm really drawn to women in a very different way than I am to men? Mm. I had a few instances where I would kiss them at parties, but of course it was that classic thing of it meant more to me than it probably meant to them. But I also, it, I, I didn't have a crush on any of them individually, but the actual act of, like, intimacy with a woman meant more. And at that yeah. time, what did it mean to you? Do you remember thinking this is good or 
this is bad. Like at that time when you do have a good enough understanding of what it might be like to be a lesbian, it's still the butt of jokes, I'm sure. They still chuck it at people for dressing a specific way. But inside, do you remember looking into the future and thinking this is what it might mean for me? Yeah, I am very lucky that I can comfortably say not a second has gone by in my queerness and in my queer journey where I have doubted it or thought this is going to be hard or this is the wrong decision or this is who I am, but why does this have to be me? I It's been overwhelmingly positive and I think because it felt, it's that classic thing of I think because it felt so like forbidden to the wrong word and is a bit too hectic for this situation, but we'll go with it now. Because it felt forbidden and like not what the norm does and I'm such a romantic, I was like, oh my gosh, because this is forbidden and not what the norm does, this means it's really real and I love love and I love feeling things to an extreme. So I think I really embraced these feelings of of queerness from a young age because I was like, how, how fun, mm. how fun to be different. And I don't know, maybe that also comes from like, you know, I I'm a performer, I like attention and I think, maybe there was a part of me as well that was like, I'm different, Yeah, <laughs> you know? And and if if the vain kind of self, self-obsession, self well, lukewarm self-obsession got me through um, maybe a lot of unpacking my queerness and being like, oh, gosh, what does this mean? And I'm going to have a hard life. Then I'll always choose that. Yeah, I haven't articulated myself very well, but I, I hope people know what I mean. I know what you mean because – it's not my story, but there is a lot of queer people will know that person, will know mm. the person who was so confident and comfortable in their body earlier than the rest of us, who just kind of like were already bold and were already, you know, the one in the front of the room raising their hands and the one wearing the the dress that was a little crazy. And they were just like, I don't care. I dyed my hair. And like, you don't like it? That's your problem. Like that <laughs> confident person usually also came out first. And like for the rest of us, you watch them from afar and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so jealous. Slash hate them, right? <laughs> I, I want to be them. And also I hate that they're so confident. And I'm interested yeah. other than your, that is your personality type, I'm guessing, and probably always was. Two, you grew up in a creative environment. But three, we got to unpack this because we've just run over it quite quickly is your family they must have had a massive influence in you having all of this strength and comfort. Like, who are they? How did it happen? What environment did you grow up in? Like, I need to know. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Sips water. I've got a lot to say. My family are phenomenal. My family are open, warm. I have always felt my parents have done everything and continue to do everything for me. Um, I think until they die, they just love me and my sister so much. And me and my sister always felt like we could be completely and authentically ourselves from birth. And I I recognised how lucky I am to be able to say that. Um, of course, you know, when you're a teenager and it's 2013 and you're thinking that you like women and you're not sure how to say it to your parents, there were, I did have fears that I wouldn't be accepted. And, but if I look back on my coming out to both my parents, they reacted in different ways that I can explain. 
when I came out to my mum, I remember sitting, mum was sitting on my stairs in my bedroom and I, um, I think I was like looking in the mirror and I swung around and I was like, by the way, mum, like I recently had been thinking about the fact that I like women and not just like, but like, like. And I remember the first thing mum said to me, she was like, oh, Sam. She's like, Sam, but I want you to have kids. <laughs> and I remember being like, I still can. And it, there was no part of it um, that, like, her her delivery was so, like, just darling, but children, because she's just so maternal. And I'm so maternal as well. Like, I want children so badly. And I remember that reaction being like, it passed by. And then we were just, I was talking more about my queerness after that. But that was the very first thing she said. Mm. But it definitely didn't eat me up inside or make me feel um, bad because she was so supportive from the, the day that I told her. And um, I remember the first time I told my dad, it's actually really funny, I was coming home from a, my very first Tinder date with a girl and I went to a coffee shop with this girl and um, classic bold me. This is how like high school we were. We we got a coffee, it was going really well. And then I was like, all right, well, my, <laughs> my dad's here to pick me up. And she was like, oh, like, there was something wrong with public transport and it was going to take her a long while to get home. And she's like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to get home. And I'm like, come along. My yes. dad will give you a lift. Yes. So we jumped in the car and I was like, dad, give this random girl a lift. Dad was like, yeah, no worries. Drove her home. And then we're driving home and it starts belting rain. And I'm like, classic. This is going to be like a movie scene. And we're driving along and I go to dad, um, also dad. And I was like, if you don't say it now, you're never going to say it. Mm. And now I'm like, in my head, I'm like, do it. Do it, do it. And I was like, Dad, just so you know, um, that was actually a girl that I was like on, that was a date. Like I was on a date with her because I I like men, but I, I definitely like women. But I like men too, but I, I definitely like men, uh, women. And Dad was like, oh, Sam. And, he, and he's like driving and he's like, thank you for telling me. And the, the one thing that I remember as clear as day is he's like, the only thing that makes me sad as a parent is thinking that there's going to be people out there that will treat you differently and as a parent you want the absolute best for your children and you want them to be treated with respect and love and I'm sorry if you don't get that from everyone and I was just like well that's pretty beautiful in the handbook of <laughs> so good. of how to respond it was just whether whether it was deliberate or completely organic in his response I think my dad saw a moment and went all right you got to say something good here, buddy, mm. because it's going to stick with her. And, yeah, whether it just came straight off the tip of his tongue or he did really in like a split few seconds come up with the plan and say it and come up with the script, I don't care. It obviously sounded so genuine and I don't think he realises how, like, that's, that sticks with you, you know, that sticks with you forever. And he he could have just said whatever first came to his mind in the car. And, and if that was the first thing that came to his mind, that wouldn't surprise me because he's a very logical, calm, humanitarian, amazing, amazing man. So I was very lucky with I'm, my parents. Absolutely. I mean, it's interesting. There actually is a thread between how they both responded. Now, I would argue mm. for the sense of devil's advocacy that some people yeah. listening would hear what your mom said and go, oh, that's not as kind as it could have been. But totally. But we are more evolved than that. We have lived through life experience to understand that 
Oftentimes as a parent, when you're hearing this information for the first time, you are given a second. You are given a millisecond, five seconds, two seconds. And how you're feeling in your heart comes right out of your mouth. And I don't know that everyone should be judged on the the initial phrasing of the words. What you've done, and it seems that that's just in your heart, is you understood the intention. And their intention is actually the exact same. They're both saying, I love you so much, so much. And your mom is saying, this is something you're going to probably think about and I'm thinking about too, which is like family. Because at that time, there weren't really good examples at all of queer people having big families or families at all and being happy. And then your dad is also acknowledging a rude reality that parents and and also queer people are going to have to live with, which is shame, judgment, ridicule. Now, obviously, your dad's landed a little bit calmer, but I do think it's beautiful in retrospect to consider that what they're both just saying is, God, I love you so much, and I just want you to be happy. Yeah. And that's powerful. Absolutely. And it was not a skerrick of malice or hurt in my mom's delivery as well. It was the most just warm, in the same way that, like, if you were to come home after being out in the pouring rain and mum was to open the door on me and I'm standing on the doorstep drenched and she'd be like, oh, darling, I told you to take an umbrella. Yeah, exactly. You know, like that kind of delivery, yeah. Did either of those things come true for you in the sense that has has it been hard to come to terms potentially with not being able to have a traditional family like built the same way? And have you found that Australia or Melbourne or the world that you've lived in, has life been harder for you than it might have been for your straight colleagues? I've definitely had some experiences of people treating me differently. And I think um, I have a distinct memory. I'll, I'll share too. I have a distinct, because I also don't want to trauma dump, but I, I have a distinct memory of walking hand in hand with my girlfriend at the time down, um, down one street in the city. And then I remember these two, like not teenage boys, I would say they were like young 20s. They threw their Coke cans at us and I was like, okay, that's gross and weird and why would you do that? And I just remember being like, oh, okay, this is, so this is homophobia. So this is what it, what will just happen every now and again when I'm walking hand in hand with someone that I love. And I was like, that's just a really gross thing. And, you know, I'd read the articles about, um, you know, a lesbian couple being bashed on on the bus in the UK and, and all of those stories. And then you think, oh, gosh, but it won't happen to me. And just that was a moment where I was like, oh, wait a minute. And I really recoiled and was like, no, it really can. Mm. And that was really scary. And that's probably one. But I have a really distinct memory of one time um, with my same ex-girlfriend at the time. We were well, we were dating at the time, sorry. We um went to a queer club and we got picked up from the queer club and uh, which was puffed off on Chapel Street and the Uber driver was like hey um like th- uh, started driving us and was like how was your night we're like good we're just out clubbing you know like, yada 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 it's like oh can I ask you like is that is that a queer club we're like yeah it is you know it's um it's puffed off it's mainly um mainly gay men go there but you know it's a whole kind of queer kind of community that go there and he's like oh thank you so much he's like you know 
um, I just want to learn some of these queer clubs because I myself think that I'm um, queer. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, so do you have any other recommendations? And we were like, yeah, totally. I was like, you know, there's Smith Street, gave them all this um, advice on certain clubs to go to the nights that they're open because, you know, I'm a big, I was a club right at the time. I knew all of them well. Mm. Um, my arm was just a patchwork of stamps <laughs> at the time. And then he was like, yeah, you know, I'm really trying to come to terms with how to tell my family. And we were like, well, that's a really big decision. And he's like, but maybe I need to go clubbing first and meet some people. And we were like, yeah, absolutely. And he was like, yeah. And um, we were driving all the way from like Chapel Street, so southeast to like Essendon. So the drive was like a 45-minute drive and went across the Westgate Freeway and we were talking all about queerness and he's like, how long have you two been together? And we were like, you know, we've been together for uh, X amount of time. How'd you meet? Oh, we met through here. What queer apps should I get on for dating? We were like, oh, you know, um, it's obviously Grindr. There's, we were on her, there's Bumble, there's Tinder, yada, yada, yada. Had a really nice chat with this guy and he was like, well, thank you so much for being so um, honest with me. Like, I'm really glad that I took you both home in this Uber. Like, this has really meant a lot for me. And we're like, no worries. And then as soon as we pulled up to my girlfriend's house, it was like, oh, it feels like, it makes me feel sick to think about it. He swung around and he goes, I'm obviously fucking kidding. Can you like make out? And I had just been deceived for 45 minutes by this man who was, who concocted like a fake queer story just to like, I don't know, emotionally butter us up to then go, I'm totally kidding. Can you kiss? And I remember being, and this is in a moment where I'm just so like, I wish that I could have, you know, had a bit of a bit of bark to my bite, but I just got so small and I was like, I'm unsafe now. Like this is unsafe. I'm in a locked boober. I I don't want to react. But I remember my ex-girlfriend being like, How effing dare you? Like, you're a piece of shit. And I was like, we need to get out of this car. Like, I get it, and I get that you wanna you wanna do this, but if there is a person that can be that, like it's like a sociopath level to go from making this fake story to then being like, I'm totally kidding, I just want to see you kiss your girlfriend. So that was a real moment where I went, oh, okay, so there's people out there that not only just say on a dance floor, kiss her again, but will do that. Mm. Yeah. Will make you feel normal in a world that where you are constantly reminded that you are not. Will make you feel free to share and open and care for others and to welcome someone in. Like community is so important to us because in the larger world, the larger community, we don't feel like we're like everybody else. And so when we mm. find someone who who is saying, I would like in, I am in, can you help me? And your guard comes down and you open up and you give them everything you wish that someone had given you only for it to be a joke is basically like, well, you're a joke. Your existence yep. is a joke. I can play a little role in character just to fuck with you. And it's like, yeah, of course it makes you sick. It made me want to cry just hearing it. It's like, that's. I know. One part of me goes, oh, why did I share that? But I think it's just interesting for people to hear that, like, like this only happened four and a bit years ago. Like, sometimes it can be a little bit unsafe. You, ne you never know who's, I don't want to say it and then fear monger, but it's like when you're being picked up from a queer space, I guess remember that certain drivers I might go there deliberately or 
they they can visually see the kind of clientele that they're picking up from a certain space. So just like mm. be cautious. Uh, it's never ever happened again, and I I do believe that that situation is an anomaly. The goodness in my heart and the way I believe in people thinks that that is a one off kind of situation, but you never know. There is a weird theme on this show, which is Ubers. Which really? What fact, else has anyone? I don't know if you've got time, but has anyone shared anything? Well, just like interesting. To, yeah. One of the themes that comes up a lot is that people have to come out a lot in cars, and it's. You know, when do you have to come out as an adult? It's usually in professional situations where you're going to be working with someone for a long period of time or with complete strangers. Um, we were able to avoid them in many other ways, like you said, because of social media. Like people don't, mm-hmm. I don't really need to come out as much to potential friends or work colleagues because everyone's done their work and they see what I'm wearing. But when you're interacting with a brand new stranger in a car where there is a script that is written and that script is let's get to know each other in a professional way. Hi, how are you? Where have you been? Where are you going? People Mm. just come to terms with it. I was actually scrolling my Instagram right before we jumped on the phone and Denny Todorovich, who most listeners will know quite well, was in an Uber literally this morning and the person said, hello, ma'am. And Denny let it happen. And uh, then the guy turned around and saw that Denny didn't, physically look like a woman and said, oh, I'm so sorry, sir. And Denny was like, no, it's fine. And they're like, oh, you just don't, you know, you don't normally see men wearing dresses. And Denny's like, it is fine. Puts headphones Mm -hmm. in and tries to just live their life. And it's just a constant reminder that when you're dealing with strangers, just to drive, just to like get where you need to get from point A to point B, but specifically in cars, there's something about getting into an Uber or a taxi where you do feel the need to like communicate. It's like a part of the experience on Uber, which is, are you nice yeah. and are they nice? We also rate each other, don't we? How was your yeah. ride? And then they rate you. So you're, you're trying your best to like make yep. this experience of driving in a stranger's <clears throat> car as normal and as good as possible. And then you're made to feel uncomfortable or in your particular case, made to feel yeah. really, really uncomfortable. Yeah, and then for, for I at least months after that interaction, me and my ex-girlfriend, we just didn't hold hands in Ubers. We just didn't do it. And so they they stripped us of that. And if you say, all right, well, are you safe for walking out on the street because then you're going to get coke can throw, thrown on you? All right, so maybe you're better doing it in the safety of a car in the back seat. But then something like that happens and that says to queer people, okay, so where is safe then? Mm. So where's where's the safe space? Because... It's looking at the moment like a lot of the places aren't safe. Yep. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people who listen to the show are allies, uh, not queer people, at least based off of the messages that we receive. And so it's it's mm. helpful information because I think mm. the goal is education, is just to, yeah. to remind people that being queer is not scary all of the time. We don't step outside every single day and go, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? But there are members of our community who do live that experience, specifically our trans brothers and sisters who have to step outside each day in just the clothes that they choose to dress or the face that they are born with, and they feel uncomfortable. And it is helpful, I think, just to paint those two pictures as just a reminder, which is, yeah, it is different. Yeah, it is harder sometimes. Yeah, that is just mm. one of many stories, and they will, they hopefully won't, but it might happen again. And it's happened to all of us in some way, shape, or form. And if that doesn't happen to you, if you don't have to get into a car and made to feel uncomfortable talking about your partner, then like that's privilege. And what can you do with that? You can talk about it more and educate and ask more questions or just sit in the fact that there is privilege and that there are people who don't have it. Yep. 
So the second part of that question, you know, was about having a family. You said that you're that that's something that you would like. And as a member of our community, off obviously I don't have to sugarcoat it. There are hurdles. And how do you feel about that? Yeah. Is that a problem for you? Yeah. I think when I came out, um, because I came out as bi in year 12, and then I was like, no, I'm a lesbian for uni. And then I was very, like, staunchly a lesbian for five and a bit years and then met my now partner, Cody, who is um, a trans man. And that's that's a whole other story that we can get to in a bit. But I always knew that fertility for me was um, we would have to go down a route of either adoption or, or IVF or... Um, getting, you know, getting a donor, um, having surrogacy. So I always knew that that was something that I was going to have to do. And I know that I want kids so badly. And I think as well, you know, my, my dad's adopted. And so I've grown up with a father with the most beautiful and loving um, adopted parents. And my father's never met his biological parents and has no plans to. And he's just like, my family are the, the family that chose me. And I have such a great relationship with all my um, with my auntie and my uncles and my cousins and everyone on that side of my dad's family. So I think I grew up and saw such a beautiful family dynamic that wasn't through blood. So I think, and I I, I think that that just impacted me um, by osmosis in a way. Like I didn't even realize that maybe that has played a big part in yeah. my um, comfort with fertility. Yeah, that's great. So now we need to unpack this beautiful relationship that you are currently in. Up until meeting Cody, had you only been with, I was just going to say women who were lesbians, but there's just way too much to unpack there. But had you only actually been with women, bisexual women, lesbians, women who presented as women, who were born as women? Yeah, absolutely. So up until dating Cody, that's right. I had only been with women apart from my um, ex-partner just before I met Cody has now come out as non-binary. At the time, they were going by she, her, but I guess I had been with a person that was non-binary and then only women for, yeah, five years. And then I met Cody and I, when we met, I was like, okay, well, you're really cool and you're really groovy. And then we started hanging out and I had said, I'd said to Cody, you know, like I have only really been with women um, and Cody was like, he was like, oh, you know, like that's cool. And we started to to see each other and I was like, okay, but I really, really like this person. And so I just went with the flow. I, I really easily could have done the classic. No, no, well, no, because yep. I'm not, I'm not into that and I'm not, I'm not into um men. But I went, no, hold on a minute. I really like this guy. I find him really attractive. I really like his brain. And so we just like started hanging out. And then I remember Cody asked me, um, okay, well, like, are we going to make this official? And I said, pause. I said, wait. And which is really unlike me because I am very, I'm like impulsive. I'm like, go, 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 like run, run to your heart's content. And I, in this exact moment, did the complete opposite of my personality, which made me realize that I really liked him because mm. I would just throw myself into relationships and some relationships you know, the first girl that I dated, I was like, you have long red hair and you're pretty and you like me and you live in a 20-kilometre radius of my house. Perfect. Whereas with Cody, I was like, no, I really, really like this person. I need time to think about this because, um, I mean, 
it wasn't that it was like, oh, I'm about to make a big decision. Am I ready to hang up my lesbian boots? Like it wasn't that at all. It was just, this is a person I really like. And there's just a lot of, there's a lot of key factors here and a lot of moving parts that I needed to dissect Mm. and analyze. Like Cody is not a woman. Cody is not a butch woman. Cody is not a lesbian. Cody is not non-binary. Cody is a man. And I really thought that I was not into men. And so I was like, what does this mean for me? And I said to myself, Sam, I was like, if you see Cody in any way as a butch lesbian, you can't do this because it's not fair on him. It's not fair on his identity. And so I sat with it for a bit and I knew deep down I did it, but I wanted to give myself that time. So I really knew it was the right decision. And I don't want listeners to be listening to this and going, oh, did you start the relationship? I mean, I'm being like, are they a butch lesbian? No, they're not. It wasn't that at all. It was just me going, no, I really want to make sure I've made all the right steps here because here's someone that I could potentially fall in love with. Here's someone who's starting to like have slices of my heart. And I'm like, and then, yeah, and then I took took the leap and now we've been dating for three and a bit years and he's the most phenomenal person that I've ever met. Amazing. In my life. We won't speak for him, but I would love to speak for you, which is, did you find yourself needing to come out again to other people? Because you've just... It's powerful how uh, any individual can come into your life. We've heard this on the show before. One individual can enter the conversation and change you. It, or, sorry, not change you, give you access to a part of who you already were, but a, a new slice yeah. of you. And then what sometimes happens is your whole body recalibrates a little bit and your mind does. And all of a sudden you start to look at people out in the world in a different way. And so did you have to kind of go back and tell everyone, hey, I was and now I am. Yeah, I think so. I can't really remember it um, with that much detail, but I remember being like, oh, well, I guess I'm back to buy. And, and, you know, we used to make jokes, me and Cody, like in a very light kind of fluffy way being like, oh, well, you know, now I I did, I just met the right man. It's just that, isn't it? Is I was a lesbian and now I met my right man and I'm going to shut my lips now. Yeah. And the rumors are true. You just need to meet the right man. Um <laughs> But I did have to come out to some people uh, and I also found it really interesting when we first started dating because I was like, oh, we are hetero presenting. And I remember walking down the street holding Cody's hand and just getting these really like beautiful like smiley nods from just old people being like, oh, Mm. look at them. So beautiful. God would be And I was like, oh, yeah. We look straight. We look like a hetero couple. And for five years, it had not been that. It had been the double take or the kisser again or the coke can Mm. situation. So it was very, that was the most surprising thing to me. I was like, am I straight? Am I doing this again? But yeah. Do you find that to be problematic and annoying? Only because Mm. you've said proud lesbian. Like you've used specific words, which is like, this is a part of who I am and I'm bold and I'm different and I'm going to, speak my truth and this is a part of who I am. And then you go into a relationship where the world might not see that you are both Mm. very much members of our community. And then you Mm. basically get washed over and lumped into just the majority. If I'm being brutally honest, and I don't know if I'll ruffle feathers by saying this, but this is true to me, I definitely had to get over the fact that I thought our relationship looked boring. 
And I was like, I was so used to being the most exciting. And this is not the reason why I was queer. And this is not the best thing about being queer. It's just one of the factors, I guess. I loved walking into a party, holding my girlfriend's hand, being like, we're both femme, we're both hot, we're both in love, this is awesome. And then I went to, oh, no, I look just like a straight couple on the street. And I don't I don't say that to say that straight people are boring, but I think I'd had five years of, you know, of the double takes or of the tell me more about you too or, oh, my gosh, that's so interesting or that's so unique. But now I was back to um, something that I thought I had rejected. Mm for the rest of my life or I really thought I'd close that chapter and gone and now I'll be a raging lesbian and I'll wear mini skirts and I'll wear lipstick and I'll own it. And then I went, oh, wait a minute. Now when I walk in David Jones holding my boyfriend's hand, I just look like any other regular girl. And I know it's hard because it's it sounds cruel. It sounds cruel to people that are straight, but I think there's, there's a lot of like there's an undercurrent of, of a lot of different factors and I think I'd just gone from one extreme Yep. to the other, if that makes sense. I think it totally yeah. makes sense. And it is also not the first time that I've heard it. So that's why I think yeah. it's really valuable to talk about. I do want to take you back, if you can, to what it was like to be a young queer person. You were really lucky um, that you had such a beautiful support network, but there are obviously people who either don't feel that way or they're not sure and they're struggling about coming out what do you want to say to young people who are struggling, who are just looking for a little bit of guidance? I think one of the biggest things is it's okay to take your time. And I know, especially when you're young, you you want to, you want to make all these decisions and you want to be part of the action or, you know, you come to a certain decision and it might feel really, really true for you. So you want to shout it from the rooftops and I totally get that and you should feel like you can. I also think there is um, there is power in taking a bit of time, and it doesn't necessarily mean that by taking that time, that your the thing that you want to share becomes any less valid. I think if anything, it it can grow in validity. validity but um, I think don't be don't be concerned or don't beat yourself up as well if your label changes. Like I am walking proof that a label can change, and you can feel really really strongly about one thing. Um, and I think this is, I think this is for sexuality. I, I absolutely can't give advice on, I wouldn't want someone to listen to this and go, so is she trying to tell me that if I think that I'm trans, that I, I might just change and to wait? I don't, I don't mean that at all. I just mean when it comes to sexuality, it's okay if your label does change. And I'm, I am proof of that. And, um, and to embrace it and to surround yourself with the people that make you, that make you feel seen and make you feel heard and make you feel good. We don't have time for toxic friends. We don't have time for friends that are going to turn your queerness or your sexual identity into a problem for them. It's got nothing to do with them. It's all about you. If you don't feel safe to come out at home, you don't have to, and you're not a bad person for hiding it from your parents. You're doing what's right for your own safety and for your own mental well-being. Um, I'm sure there's you can find another adult um, figure that you can rely on, whether it be, I don't know, um, a teacher or someone from your sporting club or someone from the drama department. But um, yeah, oh, it's so, it's like, it gets me emotional to just think because it's such an exciting, I think the one thing I want to say is get ready for like such an exciting ride. And there's a beautiful queer family waiting for you on the other side. And we welcome you with such open 
with such open arms. Unbelievable. That's a perfect place to end. If people would like to find you, if they want to be a part of your community, where can they find you out in the world? Yeah, totally. Uh, so I'm on TikTok, uh, Samantha Andrew one and I'm also on Instagram, Samantha Andrew S-A-M-A-N-T-H-A-N-D-R-E-W, because the A doubles is the end of my first name and start of my last, because I'm smart and tech savvy like that. <laughs> and yeah, you'll either see me on TikTok or on Instagram or doing shows at upcoming festivals. I've got a show coming up for the Sydney Comedy Festival, um, which will be really fun. And then just all around Vic and hopefully other states as well. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being open, honest, sharing your story with us. We got into some meaty new types of conversations we haven't chatted about in the podcast, which I'm always excited about. So thank you so much and have a wonderful rest of your week. You're very good at listening to a story and like finding common threads or unpacking it. You unpack in such a beautiful way in your mind. So thank you for letting me be a part of it. Thank you. We're going to keep that in here so the world can hear it. (laughs) Have a great week. Thanks, Samantha. Okay, we are back. How are you going? How are you feeling? If this episode left you wanting more information about our wonderful LGBTQIA plus alphabet, then you should check out Minus 18. They're Australia's LGBTQIA plus charity. They have heaps of resources on their website and they run trainings for workplaces and classrooms. Minus 18 are on all socials at minus18youth and their website is minus18.org.au. But Minus 18 isn't a helpline. So if you're looking for support, you can call QLife on 1-800-184-527 for free every day from 3 p.m. till midnight. If you're feeling anxious and not up to talking on the phone, they also have web chat at qlife.org.au. Lifeline is also available 24 hours a day for crisis support and suicide prevention. Their number is 13 11 14. If you want to be a part of the Come Out Wherever You Are community, you can slide into our DMs on Instagram at Come Out Wherever You Are. You can also follow me at Sean Zeps. That's S-E-A-N-S-Z-E-P-S. Come Out Wherever You Are is presented by me, Sean Zeps, producer Lindsay Green, executive producer Jennifer Goggin, and audio producer Chris Marsh. Listener.